Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Bench Units. I'm Mark. I'm joined by James. How's it going, James? Hey, not bad, thanks. How are you? Good, thank you. And we are joined by someone I don't really have as many jokes to make as I <laughs> typically do about our guests, so I'm going to be nice for this one. Um, we're joined by one of my favourite guys to watch in the wheelchair basketball world, one of the most all-around skilled complete versatile players and we're really excited to have him with us so welcome brian bell how's it going man thank you thank you guys for having me thank you mark james um should be a fun time awesome well don't get your hopes up so so the reason you're here brian uh we reached out to you a couple of weeks back because the announcement kind of came down the wheelchair basketball wire that your time with Landil and your time in Europe is drawing to an end and you're going to be moving on to something new. So we're going to have a little bit of kind of a look down memory lane and a little look at what might be coming forward. But before we do that, James has got a new segment, which I'm delighted to tell you, you're the first guest who is going to get to try out. So love it. I'll hand so it I've decided. So people <laughs> listening to this will know Mark is going to be a dad for the first time at the end of the oh, year. Congrats. So I've yeah. decided, I've decided that it will be fun to just leverage this to let all of our guests have a go at naming Mark's baby. So if you wow. have any suggestions, we've had practice <laughs> naming kids. You're one of the few guests we've had on here who's had kids. Um, and I know you've got a couple. So yeah, just a few. <laughs> my plan was either to let people pay to name Mark's baby or to just have guests <laughs> on and be like, you get to name Mark's kid. No so, one knows the gender. The, the, good, for that stuff. the good news is, Brian, whatever you throw out here will by default go to the top of the leaderboard because you're the first person. Love it. Because I'm the first one. Love <laughs> it. Wow. That's a lot of pressure. Wow. And the kid. <laughs> Uh, let's see there's a boy I'm going to say I'm going to say Daniel oh that that was one I suggested and my wife viciously battered away so I'll tell her that I'll put in a good word for you as well and say that's one extra vote for that love it and then I'm going to say for a girl um, let's see How about Victoria? Oh, I quite like that. Very English. I like it. Well, you know, my wife is, you know, half English. So, you know, oh, right, okay. so I don't that. wow, you, you took that really seriously. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I have kids, so it's, it, it takes a lot of thought into it. So j- just to, to contrast your experiences there, is the more pressure picking the name for your own kid or for somebody else's? Because It's definitely someone else's, because you know? <laughs> I don't want, you know, to screw up someone else's kids because they have like a weird name or some sure. obscure name. So it's definitely more so naming someone else's kid for sure. Well, you, you were much more considerate than that than I imagine some of our future <laughs> guests will be. So yeah, of, probably yeah. for Daniel and Victoria for now. Cool. Okay, should we get right. into the episode? Yeah, okay. Thank you for indulging us. We like to try and keep it <laughs> no stupid. Um, so <laughs> as, with, as with everyone we have on here, but especially considering we're trying to take a trip down memory lane, uh, I wanted to ask how you got started in the game of wheelchair basketball. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I got started fairly young age, around, I would say like 11. I got injured when I was around 9, 10. And then after that, did rehab. Uh, got a prosthetic, got back on my leg, and then I tried a b- few other different sports before I found wheelchair basketball. So I've tried American football on my prosthetic, did not go well. <laughs> I had fun, but did not go well. It's a lot, a lot of stress. So then I kind of found wheelchair basketball through um, basically one of my mom's colleagues at work. And yeah, just fell in love with it and kind of ran with it from the get-go, from the start. It also helped having, you know, a pretty good coach at an early age with uh, Miles Thompson. So, Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. That's someone that we're all very familiar with back in the UK, yeah. obviously. Oh, yeah. cool. I had no idea. Yeah. So that's, that's you starting pretty young. And I think probably the first time a lot of people will have seen you on the scene is kind of as the USA junior team was tearing up the rest of the world and 
you know, making every competition a case of who would come second. So what was your, what was kind of your path from the very early days where you just started out to kind of becoming a part of that squad that I think it was like yourself, Steve Serio, Trevon Jennifer, all those guys. Um, I would say, I know looking back from before I made the team more consistently is like through all those cuts, you know, getting cut from team Beijing. I knew I, I knew I was young, so I knew it was less likely for me to make the team and then getting cut for a potential spot in London, which I felt I thought I had a pretty good case to make. Um, and then after that, I just kind of, you know, fine tuned some of the things in areas that I did. Uh, a big focus of mine was defense since I wasn't the biggest guy um, being my class. So I wanted to be faster than all the other four, four fives um, to make sure that I can dominate them at least on the defensive side. Um, and then from that, the coaching staff saw that and, and kind of basically made sure that I stuck with that. I kind of tailored my game around my intensity in terms of defense. And then of course I find two more, more on my offensive side, and I just kind of came into my role. The coaches believed in me at the time. So that also helped tremendously um, with my ability. And it was just a, such a natural role. Like all the guys that I played with on that team, it was just such an easy and natural kind of flow of the game, of playing with each other and being able to kind of accomplish something. Sure. And did you, in those early days when you were trying to like figure out where you were fitting into things, did you have any players that influenced your style or even how you carried yourself? Was there anyone you looked up to as you were developing or? Yeah, I would say definitely uh, early on. I went to a lot of like basketball camps because I just really wanted to, you know, improve my game. You know, see kind of the basically my other peers that I'll be communicating against and also people that are considered kind of legends of the game. So I went to a lot of camps that, some of those guys have gone to like Patterson was doing um, a lot of coaching, not coaching clinics, but like basketball camps that he was a counselor and he was teaching kids. Um, went to a bunch of uh, university of uh, Whitewater, Wisconsin. Um, those camps, I went to U of I camps um, during the summertime um, after the season. So I just tried to absorb a lot from some of those guys like Pat Anderson. Um, quite a bit and I try to challenge them too. I know I wasn't even nearly as close as good or even had a right to challenge them, but you know, that's how you start. You, you know, you want to challenge the best. And from there, you know where you need to, to um, get to, um, to, to get it to that stage. Cool. And do you think setting your targets high in terms of picking a guy that you, as you, you described it has no right to challenge. Like, do you think that's mm. an important part as a, as a young player to develop, picking a guy and being like, right, I'm going to come at this guy and I'm going to lose, but I'm going to get a little closer next time and a little closer next time. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, you get better by, by failure, you know, that, that shows that you're trying um, because it's really hard to come out right up from the gate and, you know, be dominant, be successful. It takes a lot of trial and error. So picking, you know, the best, I definitely patterns at the time where he's considered one of the best players. Uh, especially when I was growing up, you know, when he was winning all those gold medals for Canada. So being able to like, you know, see him close up and then also get a chance to, you know, I know he was more joking around, not serious, but still even his joking around was, you know, pretty spectacular and yeah. you kind of see that close up and want to get to that level. And, you know, it's basically all trial and error, you know, try to do as much as you can. Once that doesn't work out, tweak it a little bit, that fixture ability and then you just go from there sure cool so one thing you mentioned was the um the cuts from both beijing and london this is going back a little while now but how old were you when you just missed out on those tournaments let's see beijing was i believe 17 or 18 it was like yeah i think it was 18 because um, or going on 19 because it was uh, then when I think I was going into my freshman year of college okay. at the time. And I remember with my college teammate, Steve, I was watching him play while he was in Beijing. Um, so, yeah, I think it was around like 18, 19. Gotcha. Um, then I first got cut. And uh, I, I actually forgot I was doing my um, my looking back to prep for this episode. And I completely forgot you weren't in London because it it mm. seems like you've been around 
the US team for as long as I can remember. I think very weird. Yeah, I've been on and off. Yeah, yeah. since our early ages, but not to like major competitions at the sure. early ages. At the, the, um, the thing I, I clocked as I was looking back over all this stuff was my first international wheelchair basketball game I ever went to watch. I think you were there with what was the US juniors? They used to do it once a year called the Paralympic World Cup, and it was in Manchester. That was like a 14 yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. kind of get together thing. I watched mm-hmm. that game. And I think you guys had brought your under 23s and you wiped the floor. We did, yeah. With everybody. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, this yeah. guy is the best player in the world. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember that quite well because it was like, uh, are you sure we're good enough to compete against senior teams right now? <laughs> yeah, you guys will be fine. Okay. You showed up and you were like, yeah, yeah okay. You got it. <laughs> and we did surprisingly well. So, yeah, I was, I was impressed with how well we did. Yeah, you guys. You guys were awesome, but that must have, and this will kind of take us through into talking about some of the success you've had with the senior squad, but you guys have had this this group of, as I mentioned, yourself, Steve, mm-hmm. uh, Trevon Jennifer, and mm-hmm. a few other guys thrown in. You guys have been together for a long time, so you must have, at some point early on in the junior trajectory, you must have realized, hey, we're the best junior team in the world and give it mm-hmm. X number of years and we're going to be dominating the senior level as well. Was the kind of a, was there a moment where you guys all realized that or did that happen over time? Do you think? Um, I think it just opened, it happened over time. Um, I feel like we just, we just need to get the right pieces together. Yeah. Um, because you can have a few, you know, good players or good all around players, but they kind of, you know, make a statement to accomplish a goal, like winning, you know, at the Paralympics, you have to have a, a whole complete team and you, and unit that has the same goal in mind. So I feel like it took some time. Yeah, yeah of course, we thought, you know, we have a, a lot of talent coming up and we have a good shot at it down the road. Um, but it takes, you know, a good coaching staff. It takes a good recruiting and a good um, players that kind of incorporates the main goal and the main vision of the team um, as one that takes it to that next level. You guys, um, moving forward a little bit, you guys... Mm-hmm obviously were there or thereabouts with your senior men's squad for a while, like third in London. And then obviously mm-hmm. you guys took a massive step forward and two gold medals in a row, really successful in between those games as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what changed? Was it a case of you guys just maturing and improving? Obviously um, that is going to happen as you guys get older and you practice more and you gel together more, but is there, Anything else? Was there obviously coaching changes and stuff? Like, mm-hmm. what would you think, what would you say took you guys to that next level between, you know, the third and fourths of the early 2000s to moving forwards? Um, I would say the biggest thing is just buying in early for what the coaching staff wants. Um, he was, uh, Ron Likas, he was just such a kind of fundamental style coach so he preached a lot of the fundamental things um very very adamant about um high defensive pressure no matter full court no matter half court so we did a a lot of defensive style drills and a lot of us love that you know like me Trayvon Jennifer love the defense side of it so we just embraced it quite a bit and I kind of showed a little bit especially leading up to the, um, the Paralympics that yeah, we're kind of decently offensively gifted, but our main gift was our defense, full court and half court. That kind of stuffed us up a little bit and kind of made up some of that gap um, that we kind of lacked previous years, um, kind of missing out on um, the top spots. I think um, a really like illustrative moment of that was in Rio where Spain went on their little run through the knockout rounds and they took down Germany and then took down GB to make the final. And I think at that time, everyone who was watching was kind of like, well, they've upset two teams on their way here. Can they give the USA a, you know, a good run and Mm. Spain were pretty good. But I think you guys very much came out and were like, Hey, we have a defense that's clobbered everybody on our way to the final. You guys probably aren't, (laughs) aren't going to pull this off on (laughs) Well, you just never know. Like, there's so many good teams out there, so you never know. And everyone, you know, wants to play well. And we knew that going out the gate that, yeah, we might be, you know, clear favorite, but that doesn't mean anything in the end of the day. Um, everyone's going to give us our best, their best shot. Uh, so we knew that as long as we play our 
style and we don't get to rattle what they're doing because we know they're going to score. Yeah. They're a very good team type of thing. And then we'll be able to accomplish goal. And, and they played us really well um, all the way up until, I would say, the third, beginning of the fourth quarter. And we kind of pulled away towards the um, beginning, middle of the fourth quarter. But they they played us well throughout the whole game. So you, you've been in two gold medal games against relatively surprising opponents in terms of the team that got there to face you. How does that change your perception of kind of quick pivot and replan for the opponent maybe versus who you would have expected to see on the way there? Um, we, we try to plan for both sides because, you know, they. if you look at it from like the media side, it's always, you know, kind of clear flavors or who people think should win. But as you've seen in previous games, like sometimes it doesn't matter. Um, like this past one, that was a big surprise for Japan, mm-hmm. uh, making their big, big run um, late. So you just never know how it's going to go. Um, a lot of teams can have off games and kind of, you know, end up losing games and then make it through to the next round because of that. So we just try to more focus on ourselves, more so than mainly focus on certain teams. Because, you know, as long as we do the kind of the small things that we normally need to do to be successful, that we will be successful. And then after that, we find who we're going to play. Then we kind of fine tune some of the our game plan a little bit for certain players or a certain team defense okay. that we might go against or offense that we might go against. If you had to put a number on it, um, what percentage is it about you and what percentage is it about the opponent? Is it 70-30? Is it 80-20? That's, it's all very random. Uh, but. No, no, no. So I feel like it's it's definitely more probably like on the higher end. So I'll probably say like 60-65, um, like, you know, 40-35 or whatever. Uh, a percent that we focus more of ourselves because if we focus more on things that we can control, then we can basically dictate more so what the opponent does if we do it a certain way. And it will know exactly what they're going to do if we do it that certain way um, type of thing. So it it was that type of mentality that we wanted to dictate to them what we're going to allow them to do rather than kind of sitting back and seeing what they're going to do and then kind of adjusting from there. Sure. Okay, so I'm going to fire you a bit of Brian Bell trivia that I have prepped, okay? Okay. So your international record on the world level is two Paralympic golds, two world championship silvers. That's not that's not great trivia, Mark. I assume that's not it. <laughs> that's not that's not the question. Um, the question is across those four tournaments on the world yeah. stage that you've been part of, the USA have lost four games. Can you tell me what those four games are? Wow. Uh, if you want to do it a different way, I can tell you the three that between 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 those eight so, year span. So Rio, Tokyo, um, Hamburg, and Incheon. Okay, so let's see. Well, we lost to Italy and Australia. In oh Wales. man, that's the I never thought you were going to get the. That was the whole point. <laughs> yeah, of the that, that 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 was a rough one. I remember that one because literally, again, that's the thing. Like no one could score against that game in Italy. Like literally, we rotate. The next person shoot couldn't score. <laughs> next person shoot couldn't score. That's the thing. Like if that happens, then of course teams are gonna find a way to win. And, yeah. and they did. And then, of course, we lost to Australia in the, in the final. Um, and then we lost to GB in the final of Worlds in um, Germany, Hamburg. And we lost to GB, of course, um, going into Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, you you completely, completely undermined my trivia <laughs> segment there because I did not, for the life of me, think you were going to get the Italy game. I mentioned this no, to James no, no. over WhatsApp and he was like, I'd forgotten about that one. I thought no, we the, the, the coaches hold on to losses, <laughs> more, more, more so than wins, for sure. Yeah, they, that's they really such do. a coach thing to like, yeah. you guys are throwing the ball all around the gym, warming up in a random training yeah. camp, and they're like, hey, remember yeah. Italy? and. 2014 yeah. you're like hey shut up i turned the ball yeah. over twice fine. <laughs> but yeah like you don't even know how many times we watch video from after hamburg of that final game versus gb like so many times 
Yeah. Like after a while, I was like, uh, coach, uh, we're all upset because you know, get done with this right now. Can we focus <laughs> yeah. on the next There's this thing of objective? But yeah, yeah it, it happens, like, you see so, what happens, no. and you're like, uh, coach, I can tell you the next four plays. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah. But there okay. are games like you guys against Italy where you're playing well and just not hitting shots. I always find yeah, it really yeah. funny because I've had conversations with coaches at club level who've been like, but what do we do if this happens? You're like, yeah, we probably lose. Like mm-hmm. you can only do what no. you can do like yeah exactly you can only you know foresee so much yeah that was, that was the thing like if we play and dictate the offense or whatever defense a certain way then we at least know what most likely will come next yeah, yeah. rather than just sitting back and guessing do yeah the and, then, right certain, and live with the results yeah to yeah. a certain point it's numbers like if you go into a game and you're like, this guy's 57% from this spot and this mm. guy's 62% from here and we get up to this number going to the basket and whatever, and it just doesn't yeah. happen. I think it's a mm-hmm. thing that players are like, hey, man, like you have mm. to be able to like sleep at night if that happens. Yeah, I think. Exactly, yeah. You can't yeah. overthink it too much. Yeah. yeah, cool. Okay, so last thing before we move on to talk a little bit about your club career, Brian. Um, okay. We mentioned the two Paralympic golds, two world silvers. Mm-hmm. And I saw that when the USA did their trials recently, your name was on the list mm-hmm. going into this World Championships. How much of a how much of a goal is getting the World Championship gold for you to kind of fill out the trophy cabinet? I guess <laughs> it's definitely one of those you know like a lot of like things that you think about. Like, oh man, we missed out so many chances. Of course, I would love to have gold at Worlds. Um, because it's basically like a mini Paralympics. It's only focusing on basketball. So it's a, you know, one of the high competitions of your career as well, Worlds. So I would love to get it as well. Um, I know with a lot of big changes with the team, um, that's going to be kind of difficult to do. But I feel like if we put it in enough work that we'll maybe, you know, stay at the top one, two, three, uh, and maybe give, you know, a surprising um run to some team in the semifinal if we make it that way and then maybe get to the final again but i know it's more of a rebuilding period right now so i know i have to be more realistic of course it's going to take some time to kind of get back to that championship level team status that we've we've had in the past um but we just got to focus on the small little details and then kind of take it day by day to get back to that Cool. And in this new sort of period for Team USA wheelchair basketball, how do you see your role changing both as a player and just as a guy who's been around and seen everything as a bit of a, you've always, you've been a leader, but I mean, as mm. more of a leader, as more guys mm. age out and go off to do other things? Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely talking more like one-on-one conversation with the coaches, um, being one of the veteran guys now. So now I have to be more of like an active leader in terms of being more vocal off the court, more so than just being more of a leader on the court. Um, And then I got to make a little bit more adjustments for that, for me. Uh, But I feel like that's kind of an easy adjustment. It's basically all the things I've been doing on the court, just, you know, tell it more off the court and make sure that people are focused, make people are coming into practice ready or games ready, that type of thing. Sure. Okay, cool. We will shift on then to chapter one of your career in Europe, Brian, which is with Briante Cantu in Italy. Mm. So you joined Cantu in 2013, and yep. before we get into this, I need you to dispel a myth for me, if that's okay. Sure. So I was in Italy that year as well with Padova. And, yeah. um, so I lived in a house with two roommates who were players as well. And about okay. midway through the season, I think we just played you guys and we'd lost mm-hmm. fairly convincingly at your hands. But mm-hmm. um, our mechanic who was like, mechanic slash vice president i guess just mentioned to me as we were loading the bus up he was like oh yeah we spoke to that guy brian bell <laughs> he's like we, we would have really liked to have him but he wanted a house on his own and we didn't think we could do it is that is this a thing because when he told me this i was like i would have slept on the street if it meant we could have had him no because i'm pretty sure i stayed in an apartment complex next to like the other teams in the in an apartment complex. So right. no, 
Okay. And then after that, I stay in the basically the same right across the our hallway from the other guys on the team in apartment complex. So no. Okay. <laughs> right. I'm gonna have to. I've not spoken to that guy for years, <laughs> but I'm gonna have to go and rattle the cage on now. That, thank you. For, thank you for clarifying that for me. Um, You're gonna have to look up the Italian for you just embarrassed me on my own. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, so yeah, we kind of talked about your time coming through in the US. So what was your what was your moment at which you decided that Europe and Cantu specifically was the right move for you? I would say after getting cut from London, which I thought I had a good case of making, I kind of realized that I need to increase a little bit more of my game. So I feel like the natural move is to go play professionally overseas. A lot of my teammates were doing it at the time. A lot of people I've known have done it and been successful coming back. And a lot of my college teammates um, just went overseas as well. So um, they actually played in Cantu before I went there. So it was just kind of an easier transition um, for me. Um, it was kind of Cantu was kind of one of the f- first couple of teams that I talked to. Um, and then it was just an easier like fit and fine for me. Cantu was one of the top teams in Italy. And I felt like I can help them continue to be one of the top teams or maybe even win a little bit more cups away from Rome at the time. They were kind of the powerhouse in Italy. So, yeah, that was my kind of decision to go to Cantu. Awesome. So you mentioned Roma. So we, we've got this on our on our bullet points here, but you jumped straight in with Cantu at kind of the height of the Cantu and Santa Lucia-Roma rivalry. So mm-hmm. as a a foreign player coming in what was it like to kind of immediately become part of that as soon as you joined because that was that was no small deal to the fans of both those teams mm-hmm. or the people running the clubs i imagine no i i completely loved it i love the the fact that there are you know tons and tons of fans at both games um very very animated pretty much with everything um, it was just a, a, a very, very competitive rivalry between the two clubs, especially early on. I know the first cup I think we had was like, like literally two months later. I think it was like October, November, the uh, Super Cup. And we somehow managed to win after, you know, a couple months of, of, of training together uh, in a couple games in the regular season. So I just felt from there that it's going to be a good rivalry the whole time I was there. It's going to be a lot of back and forth. Um, it's not going to be kind of one-sided like it's been kind of previous years with Rome kind of being everyone or kind of taking over the top spots. And I just felt confident that I would be able to to help keep that team at the top level in, in, in Italy. So off the back of that, I guess, the next point with Cantu is I've gone back and scoured a little bit of video ahead of this, but I think I'd forgotten how many iterations Cantu went through as a team while you were there. You had year one was like you with Segar and then Andre Binek mm-hmm. and Joachim mm-hmm. Lindblom. And mm-hmm. then Gaz came in for a couple of years. Gaz was out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordi Ruiz was there the whole time with you. You had Adolfo Badoon for your last year mm-hmm. there, I think. Abdi was there when he wanted to be. Oh, yeah. Abdi was there. I yeah. forgot yeah. Abdi was there. That's yeah. one I didn't catch. Um so you had like yeah. an all-star, all-star rotating cast of teammates. So yeah, no, I it, guess, was, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What was the experience like of kind of adapting year by year as Cantu kind of funneled guys in and out to to make the best team they could? No, it was it's kind of part of the the game playing professionally. There's a lot of rotation. Um, of course, you want to like to keep the core group together to kind of move on to the next season. But you know, it kind of comes with the territory of being a professional sport that other teams are going to want to go to other teams or clubs are going to want to rotate players out to kind of maintain their high level. So I knew that was coming. Um, I was, you know, I was trying to stay in conversations with who they're bringing in, um, who might be a good fit to bring in, that type of thing. So I try to help them out in that regards. And it's it was just good to kind of have an international team because then you bring all those different areas um, from all over. Um, like having Sega there was was really big for me, especially on and off the court, because we clicked quite well uh, on both sides of it. Um, and then, yeah, God's been there. We, we got really close together. 
um, being kind of that one-two punch uh, with with him was amazing. And then with Jordy too, we're, I remember that one year. I don't know how many threes we shot. It was some sure. ridiculous mm-hmm. amount, but it was literally just just lunch city. But it was fun, you know. We're we're having fun. We're still accomplishing things and not kind of you know, you know, joking around and and not doing well. But we're still, you know, being prideful, trying to compete and try to win titles for the club. I can't believe you understood Ian Sagar. That's the thing that completely, like, <laughs> in my mind. That's it's, where I was going to go with this. It, as it, well. it, it it took a while, but you know, <laughs> it's you know, after a little bit of practice, yeah, you know, I was able to kind of catch some of his mannerisms a little bit more of um, his harsh English, you know, because yeah. said <laughs> Mark Mark yeah. uh, Mark lives about twenty minutes down the road from where Antigar is from, and I lived in the same place that he yeah. was born for a while when I lived in England, and I didn't pick it up like I still. <laughs> but even then, like I, as I say, I lived in the town he was from, yeah. and I was like. I'm I live there and people don't sound like you. What's <laughs> but yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's, he's such a yeah, he is a good yeah, teammate and also one yeah. of the greatest big threes of all time. So like I I, I completely agree with that. That's I, I love the fact that he came to us last year. It was it was awesome. That when they were first talking about, oh, what do you think about in second? Because you play with him. I was like, Yes, bring him here, please. Yeah, get it. I know him well. I know exactly what he's going to do, what he needs to do to be successful for us, for him. And yeah, awesome guy. Yeah. And then you guys just parked him on the bed. No, <laughs> I, I have no say of how, you know, people hey, listen, play, but listen, no. we played you, we played you in champs cup last year and he yeah. made two free throws to beat us by one. So we'll like, yeah, yeah that's what he's there for. Yeah. Um, so just what, while we're looking at your list of teammates you had, um, me and James have both been big Adolfo Badoon fans over the years, and the guy's yeah. kind of a mystery because I don't nobody who has like not played with him knows anything about him really. So, do you have an Adolfo mm. Badoon story you can give us? Adolfo Badoon story. Mm. I don't know. He's just such. I don't know if I have necessarily a story. He just he's very. I would just say he's very entertaining guy. Um, on and off the court, just very uh, animated, very outgoing. So, like when he drinks, like he's very like always cheerful, happy, bouncing up and down. Um, and you can kind of see it too when he's playing as well, uh, especially because he felt kind of relaxed with our team. I know Rome could be kind of stressful, especially with uh, the coach at the time, a lot of yelling stuff like that. But with our team was at the time, it was more relaxed and it wasn't as you know strict and so sure. yelling but i wouldn't say i have any really anything that's entertaining Burdoon stories no okay. not really the, yeah the, I've, um, spoken to, I've spoken to several people who've played with him and i've heard on a different occasions he's like hey how's it going welcome to the team all right so this is exactly how we're gonna play <laughs> it's like yeah hey, i can see that can so see yeah that. what about this no <laughs> yeah i can see that yeah yeah, um, I think he. I think he had to like accept that he's not the only guy, you know, on a team at the time when he came to us. Yeah, so. of course. Yeah, I think um, there was that. There was that one. I can't remember which club it was when he joined, where they were like, "Hey, when we get a fast break, we spread out like this." And he was like, "Hey, no, we don't, because I'm here now." And then <laughs> I think there was there was a story I heard once. I don't know if it's a myth, but it's that. When he, one of his years playing for Cantu, he decided he was moving to Sardinia and they were going to fly him in and out of games. I don't know if that ever <laughs> happened or not. But that, 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 that could be a possibility. It definitely was probably when I was already gone, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's a possibility. Yeah. If I was that, if I was that big a guy on a team, I would definitely try and swing something like that. Like, <laughs> oh, it's for like sure. yeah. yeah, being a guy who's like just about hanging on to, teams uh, like every year like looking at that like that's so cool but, oh, no. <laughs> but anyway, we'll, we'll we'll leave Purdue alone considering we're <laughs> guy. so um I guess next up Ryan four years at Cantu do you have a, a single best Cantu moment that stands out best Cantu moment um especially Definitely winning the first title my first year because I didn't expect that to happen so quickly my first year. 
um, that first cup. It actually won two titles that year. We won the the Italian League that year as well. Uh, we lost to them in the Italian Cup, um, but we won the Super Cup and we won the Italian Cup, like the Italian League uh, that year. That would probably be definitely the beginning highlight. And then I would say my last year with them would probably be the best highlight with them, I would say, um, because I was playing pretty well. I was averaging probably 20-some points a game. Um, we got all the way to the finals of Champions Cup. Fortunately, we lost, uh, but we were right there. We could have easily have won. Um, and then um, we won, I'm pretty sure, every cup that year in the Italian League. So the Italian League and then the Italian Cup at the time. Sure. So this was – this kind of ties into our, our segment about moving on to Germany. But your last year, I think the – Italian league was watering down a little bit because mm -hmm. they brought in the rules about it. First, it was one Italian per team on court. Mm -hmm. Then it was two. And mm -hmm. a lot of the, a lot of the non-Italian guys started looking elsewhere because it was easier for them to, you know, find spots oh, yeah. and, no, and roles. Agree, yeah. And on top of that, Santa Lucia were kind of reaching the end of the road, I think with their mm -hmm. program at that point. So mm -hmm. what were, what do you think, the effect of the Italian rule was on the league in general. And do you think that played a part in your decision to move on? Um, I would, I would say ultimately that their rule kind of hurt them quite a bit um, in terms of getting more like talent there for the Italian league. Um, I understand where they're coming for. They're, you know, they're trying to improve some of their time guys and players because they wanted them to play more. So ultimately, they want to improve the Italian national team. So I get where they're coming from, but at times I feel like it kind of it hurt them more so than what they gained, because also some of the Italian guys knew they were going to play, so they don't you know necessarily have to train or come to practice frequently that type of thing. So I think it, it kind of also hurt them as well because then you know people didn't care necessarily about um, the kind of working hard part to work to earn that spot to play rather than they were already guaranteed to play. Uh, but I don't think it affected my decision to leave. Um, Lundell was kind of one of those clubs that I've always wanted to play for at some point. So it was just kind of like I won a lot, you know, in, in, in the uh, Italian league, I've accomplished quite a bit. Um, maybe go to a different uh, league and see how well I can do there was more of my mindset. Yeah, I think just uh, one of the things you said there about maybe the local guys having to play. Obviously, mm -hmm. you were saying it means they know they're all, they know they're going to get minutes, so they maybe don't put the mm -hmm. work in as much during the week. But I think you lose out on something that you said was so great about playing for Cantu, where you had all these guys from all these different places bringing different mm -hmm. ideas and styles and different skills that they've picked up from mm -hmm. wherever they've come from. And I think you lose a little bit of that for sure, mm -hmm. but. Sorry, I've taken us backwards slightly because this was a no, really no move on to Germany, but <laughs> make my own point. Uh, no, so, no worse. It's all good. Um, I guess the, it's interesting what you say there about developing the national team because I think everything is like so Spain-centric now that in theory Spain should be trying to implement the same rule, but then you mm -hmm. look at stuff like the junior Europeans and the Spanish junior team are rolling out five mm -hmm. guys who all play in the top Spanish league who are all on, you know, professional contracts and they're rolling over mm -hmm. the tournament. And that's with, with no requirement for them to, you know, get anything handed to them. So I think the point you yeah. make about, you know, having to put the work into earn your spot very clearly shows mm -hmm. up there as opposed to Italy giving, you know, handouts to their own guys in that sense. Yeah. Cool. So oh, right. I guess, the, the connective tissue from Italy to Germany is you might be the only person I've ever known to announce you were leaving your club and announce which club you were going to before you then played them in the Champions Cup final four. Which yeah, I know. <laughs> it was a pretty badass move. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was a weird one. I've never seen it before, <laughs> before or since, but you announced you were going to Landil and then you had to play them in the semi-final of the, of the Champions yeah. Cup. So. What yeah. what was that like? Because I I don't know anyone who's been in that situation. Yeah, it was definitely weird. Um, it was it was just a lot of weirdness. I think the Cantu was kind of upset that I was leaving, 
Um, and then they would just want to kind of postpone posting that I was leaving, um, which been known for, I think, a month before that point. And they were just kind of prolonging and prolonging and prolonging. And I was like, well, I'm just going to post it. It's going to be said eventually. I feel like it's not going to hurt us playing against them. Like, I'm going to play my best. I'm not going to like, oh, I'm coming to you guys, so I'm going to let you guys win. And no, it's <laughs> not like that. If I, if, I, if I was that type of player, then I wouldn't be at where I am right now. Like, I'm yeah. going to give you my best shot as much as I can. So, and, and, and we beat them in the semifinal game. So, it's just... It was just kind of a weird situation for sure. Uh, but it didn't need to be. It just uh, the tie-ins being the way they are sometimes. You know, tie-ins can be all more on the dramatic side sometimes. So, you know, they want to postpone, make an announcement to kind of draw, you know, stuff. It's it's fine. But sure. I tried not to not let it affect me. So sure. it was fine. And so, in direct comparison to that, um Landil has a reputation of being the most professionally run club in Europe, definitely, but probably the world. Um can you attest to that being true? I would definitely say yes, especially because I know Kentu was really, really great club. Um, but they never considered themselves professional in terms of what they did. And I knew. Lundell considered themselves a professional club. So I kind of wanted to kind of experience that. Like I've heard um, about it from, of course, previous teammates, um, Steve, Mikey, stuff like that. But I wanted to come here and kind of witness that myself. And yeah, it's just a very professionally run club. They do all the sponsorships and stuff like that the right way. They promote things the correct way. Um, They engage with sponsors um you have like your own personal sponsors that they want you to engage with um on a regular basis so it's just a very professionally run club yeah i think we're we're pretty heavy on the um the landil and the former landil guests at this point i think you're Mm. must be number four by now yeah yannick Mm. yannick tommy jan haller was on the other week that was the other um Mm -hmm. but um yeah i mean Nobody's had a bad word to say about Landil ever. And for, you know, most of the club's history, they've been the best team in, in Germany. And mm-hmm. you joined Landil, mm-hmm. you dropped yourself right in the middle of Landil and Thuringen. So you obviously ca- can't get enough of the, um, of the blood <laughs> wars in, in the various, yeah, various yeah. leagues. But what's yeah. that been like? No, it was, it was crazy. And then um, I was in, of course, contact with uh, Matt, um, at the time, Jake, and I kind of knew they were going to Germany as well. I was like, oh, well, that's going to be awesome then. And it's yes. going to be, you know, nice and competitive because Matt made um, Porto Tours in uh, my last couple of years very, very competitive sure. um, for us in a few games. So I knew that it was going to be a fun time um, moving to Germany and still playing against Matt. And then, of course, Jake being a world-class shooter, uh, be able to play against that. Um, it's going to make each other better. Um, and then make a national team better down the road. So, but it was a fun. Um, I know Turgan was more dominant uh, while I was here, especially with those two guys there on their on their roster. Um, but we're we're right there in a bunch of games. Um, but yeah, it was just it was a lot of fun. I, I love the rivalry type of things. Sure. If I could be a part of a rivalry, I, I love that more so. The kind of you know being third, fourth, fifth, and yeah. kind of knowing that you're going to lose games because, you know, you're paying, I want to like be competitive. I want to be one of the top uh, few teams around. So definitely. What do you, what do you think set during going to part over the last handful of years that they were so successful? Uh, I think just the right people they, they, they brought in. I feel like Matt and Jake helped their dynamic um, tremendously. Um, because they had that mindset of of winning, defensive mindset of like being the, the most defensive sound team. Um, and they helped them tremendously. Like they helped some of their guys um, become more focused during games so they can perform better um, and that type of thing. They were just overall able to help their team as a, um, as a whole. Um, and, it, and it showed and they played really well. Um, of course, like we did, um, we try to play as well as we can to stay with it, and we did at times. But 
it was hard against sometimes, you know, a Matt coming at you or Jake pressing you full court type of thing. But yeah, it was just, I think it was mainly just those two guys. And after that, they, they kind of embodied that mentality and mindset in their kind of state with being competitive from then, then on. Sure. Yeah. I think you, st- you still see a lot of that influence in, in how they play mm-hmm. now. They've obviously got different pieces in different but, people. Yeah. 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 Um, so I guess the, for you, the pinnacle of the, the Landil three and rivalry is that you guys played each other in the champions cup final um, last year, which you guys won in an extremely mm-hmm. close game. So what what was it like to reach the mountaintop and to do it against those guys who, as you mentioned, had kind of maybe had your number a little bit over the last three or four years? No, it was amazing. Um, I, we did kind of knew it was just, it was, if the best chance was that, that year, last year, for sure, with the kind of the guys that we had, we had Steve um, there with me, uh, they helped out. Of course, we had um, Sager there, um, they helped out. We had All Prince. Um, a big guy as well. So we had a lot of pieces that we can be able to kind of go out and, and be successful. And we knew it was a, kind of our, our chance to. And it was the first time, I think, either ever or a while that it was two German teams in the final. Um, so it was kind of historic in that regards too. Um, but yeah, we were just, it was just such an amazing feeling to, to finally win because that was the second time I've made it all the way to the final. Um, and to actually finally pull off the win um well, yeah it was amazing because one of my my bucket list as well is to win a champions league title and i was kind of getting worried because it was getting towards the end of my career of, <laughs> of not happening so but yeah i was able to i was able to finally accomplish it and especially against a, a tough team like turrican that we've always had battles um for the previous many years that I was in germany sure cool. and what sort of effect did getting guys like Steve and in into a team that was already a great culture, a really professional team, a team that knew how to win, a team that knew how to take care of things and do things the right way. What sort of effect does adding those two pros in have on a team culture? I'm so interested in this sort of stuff. No, 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 it's fine. Uh, I think it was the biggest thing. It was just experience. Like all those guys been in, you know, top clutch moments or tough competitive games, the finals and whatnot. So they know what to expect. They know how to kind of deal with certain um, things when it gets down to crunch time. Um, I know I remember back at the beginning of that final, Steve was just took it upon himself at the beginning to kind of score at will or be that primary focal guy um and and we kind of needed that because we were still trying to kind of basically kind of fill each other out at the beginning uh but he took it upon himself to be uh, aggressive and that's the thing that we kind of needed we need people who are experienced that's going to do that when they think they need to do it and then um be it it, um the right moment or not but still be able to take that upon themselves to actually do it and then of course you know knowing what sager can do um, get to a spot and pretty much be automatic most of the time from that, that elbow area. Um, yeah, it just brought tremendous amount of experience uh, that helped us uh, to kind of accomplish that goal last year. Sure. And this kind of ties in our last couple of questions on Germany, but obviously you spoke about last year feeling like your best opportunity given the squad that you had and mm. you've now got to Close out this season. We've got Champions Cup coming up this weekend, and then you, mm. I believe, go back to back home for two games against Thuringen in the German yeah. Cup. Is that right? So, yeah. your team that you've got this year, how do you see this kind of as compared to last year and previous years? And do you think it sets you guys up to to repeat your success and hopefully take your career out on a win? Um, I say it's definitely. Um... It's looking good for sure, uh, especially the team that we have. Um, pretty well put together team. I've known these guys or played against these guys for, for a while now. Hero was here um, like early on in my my career in journey, uh, with Lundell, so I know him quite well. I played with him in college as well. Um, Rio was kind of a new factor, but I, f- I feel like it was be an easy adjustment for him. So I kind of I kind of watched him play against him. I kind of know what he 
wants and what he needs to do. Um, but yeah, we with Yannick coming in, being such a dominant class one, um, it just I feel like we just have so many pieces that anyone can score or be aggressive and dominate at any given time, uh, especially with you know two really really good shooters with Tommy and Hero now, and then Quentin coming off the bench. He's been a, a decent shooter for us as well to kind of relieve either Tommy or Hero. Uh, I definitely say it's. In terms of teams, it's definitely um, pretty close to kind of the type of team we had last year as well. Uh, you know, very experienced, used to um, being in those tough, tough competitions and tough games. But I feel like if we play the way we should play or normally play, that we should hopefully be making it back to the final and maybe hopefully win again um, in Champions Cup. Sure. That, would, that would be a serious flex to win last year on your home court and then win win on their court this year. Yeah, that would be a serious flex. And then yeah. just ride off into the sunset. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, because we still have German Cup. I mean, the German League. So that's yeah. the kind of mistake we had last year. That after Champions Club, like, oh, the season's done, right? Nope, yeah. we had German <laughs> League. Uh, uh, yeah. The German Cup hungover. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess la- last question on the Germany stuff is... Yeah. You obviously talk about the depth of options you've had at Landil. How do you feel like your years in Germany, your role has been different to maybe what it was in Cantu or maybe with your, I mean, to me, your role in Landil is more similar to your role with the US national team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How have you kind of grown your game or adapted your game to fit around these guys? And do you think it's benefited you in the long run? Uh, I definitely, definitely think it benefited me. I know in Cantu, I was more, um, it was kind of opposite my traditional um, playing style that I do normally do with the national team. So I was more of um, a shooter, more of a playmaker, more of an outside guy uh, in scorer, because mm-hmm. um, that's what the team needed me to do at the time uh, with Cantu. And then I kind of took that and kind of um, honed that skill because that's kind of, I felt was the area that I needed to improve more on because I always felt like my defense was always kind of there in at a high level and high intensity. So that was a kind of a good um, area and start to kind of get to my um, professional career it, with the USA team, to kind of keep myself on the USA team is to kind of maximize my offense a little bit better. And then moving on to Germany, uh, I felt that it was a perfect uh, combination from what I did in, in Italy and then what I've already been doing for a couple of years with the national team. And then kind of combine that together um, to, help, to help Lundell uh, with whatever they need. If they need me to be a post player, I'm used to it, especially when Mikey was here. We used to be, you know, on the same side offensively all the time. So it's kind of an easier uh, transition. But also if they need me to be a scorer or um, something like that, playmaker, that I can also do that because I've done it. For four years with Cantu. Definitely. Okay. I think that's everything on Germany. So I guess this moves us on to the big question of this podcast, which is what was what was behind the decision to move home and why now, I guess? Um, it's after a long time, you kind of think like when is a good time to kind of be done or um decide to move back i wanted to kind of end on you know still being like one of the more competitive players i didn't want to leave like basically being kind of thrown out from a team because you're too old or you know you don't you know have the um that intensity or skill level anymore we'll we'll call it the the russell westbrook exit strategy (laughs) So I wanted to I wanted to end kind of on on my note, and also the family sacrificed a lot being over here um, for nine years now. So I kind of wanted because at some point we have to move back. And I feel like it's 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 better to be earlier than later um, in terms of schooling, in terms of you know making friends and in that regards. Sure. Um, and yeah, and I, and I feel like I've accomplished quite a bit in, in terms of my athletic career as well. So I feel like it was just a good time to say that uh, it's a good time to go back, you know, start working on more of my career off the court um, and 
get an actual real job for us. <laughs> get the suit and tie. You know? <laughs> exactly. It's going to cool. take some adjusting for sure. But yeah. Sure. And what does this mean for what's next for you on court? Um, on court, I'm still going to be a part of the national team. Um, I'm, I want to stick around as long as they need me, um, especially with um, it going through kind of a re- rebuilding period for the national team right now with a lot of guys retiring. Um, I want to kind of stick around to make sure that the next generation coming up um, is guided in the right direction um, so that we can make that rebuilding period shorter um, and be able to kind of get back to that top um, area. But definitely I want to stay on the national team. I'm deciding right now that I'm going to go all the way to Paris. And then after that, we'll kind of refocus and see if I also do LA because it's going to be at home. Yeah. But I am going to be pretty old then, but we'll, we'll, we will see. You say at home as if it's like, as if LA is just down the road, it, but it, I guess it depends. It's where you not, say. Yeah, but no, but it's not. Yeah. The US is pretty big. It's, it yeah, probably it's won't be. <laughs> No, at a home, at home. You say you say you'll be pretty old, but Simon Munn did his last Paralympics when he was forty-seven. Yeah, so you- but Simon Munn's, you know, he's a different character. <laughs> I don't think anyone can. That, that's one Simon way of putting it. <laughs> All right. So, will we move on to? We've got a couple of questions. Yeah, let's do um, So, first question sent in was: Who taught you how to shoot? Who taught me how to shoot? I would say it was more trial and area error um i of course worked with miles thompson at the early stages um kind of fine-tuning my shot um i feel like i tried a bunch of different styles and the style that i i have now just made the most sense and felt more natural i would say after um miles helping me and then other coaches down the road like frogly helped me with shooting practices and stuff like that sure all right we have one Instagram question, which I think is deliberately designed to be pr- provocative. So we're going to skip right over Probably. that. Um, <laughs> so this one is a simple one that just says, in the game of world wheelchair basketball, do you think you're underrated? Um, no, I never, I would say I never really want to be like in the limelight, I would say. Um, as long as my team's successful, that's all that matters to me. Um, of course, I want to be considered, you know, one of the better players in the world, but that's only to the, the, to the extent of my team being one of the best teams in the world um, type of thing. So I never really care about, you know, being the best. Of course, I'm going to train and practice that way, but I don't care necessarily about getting the accolades in terms of um, people saying that I'm the best um, in that regards. Awesome. All right. Cool. Next question is, um, what was it? Uh, we were told to paraphrase this because the person who okay. sent us the question sent us like three different things. And it was like, you know what I mean? But it was basically, <laughs> you think, do you think league specific rules like the two Italians on the floor rule or mm-hmm. the junior point stuff? Do you think that hurts individual leagues? I think we've already kind of covered it, but. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think. I don't think the, I, like I said before, I think the playing the two Italian rules or playing Pacific um, um, nationality in whatever league room, I thought it hurts the league, uh, that particular league overall, in terms of maybe um, not getting enough international player caliber players because of that rule, or also those players maybe not training because they know they're going to play. Uh, but I think the junior world rule is okay. Um, because, you know, they're younger players and they want to still compete at a high level or they at least want to try to be um, compete at a high level. So giving them the chance to still do that um, and then get them a little bonus on top of it. I don't think it hurts the sport too bad, uh, too badly. Um, and then, of course, the um, girl minus rule, I feel like helps them overall in their women's sport and then also helps the teams be more competitive because then you're able to play more points. Um, sure. on the on the field as well definitely all right okay shall we move on to our our last few lightning round questions yes so these are questions that we have for you just quickly before we okay. let you go um so what's one rule you'd like to see added to wheelchair basketball it can be a good oh, one or it can be stupid 
you're you're the the supreme overlord of the IWBF <laughs> one day, and it can be either it can be anything yeah. from chairs have to have extra weights on them for people who are too fast, or it can be if you get an alley oop in wheelchair basketball, you automatically uh-huh. win the game. Any anything uh-huh. that you can think of. Four point line. <laughs> Four point line. That would be pretty cool. They actually in one of the tournaments I think they had in Canada they had one of those. Yeah, the spit the Spitfires tournament, right? Spitfire, yeah, yeah. which is pretty pretty cool because a bunch of guys will actually try it. Think um, what your Cantu team would have done with a four point line. Uh, I know, just Chuck City. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's see a good rule. Um, I will. I will, I know me. I would like to it be more kind of like the NBA in terms of. Uh, the continuation rule a little bit more. I feel like if you get fouled and you're like in the movement of still like shooting that you maybe can still get a shot off or something like that um, type of thing, I would say, because I like the fact of uh, professional sport getting closer to like more of the NBA styles, because that's kind of the pinnacle of mostly professional sports for basketball. Um, So I would say maybe that, to start with All that right. right there is the take of a guy whose opponents can't even stop him by fouling him. <laughs> um right okay so best game you've ever played in um that i feel like i played in or just that i played well in or just what whatever you if you had to pick one and be like that was that was the best game i've ever been a part of I would say, I guess maybe this last Paralympics, the first game against Germany, um, I would say probably the best game I've played shooting well from the outside. Um, because, yeah, I kind of made it a kind of a fact that I wanted to to play against, you know, I played against all those guys, I played with or against most of those German guys. So I kind of want to prove a point that, you know, I, I can score both in and outside because I know with the national team, I was more, you know, of a center or more of a diver, sure. uh, but I wanted to evolve my role quite a bit. So I'll definitely say that game because I played really, really well that game on the start of the tournament. And I also felt if I didn't play that well, we might have lost that game. <laughs> I know the guys say that quite a bit that um thank you and we appreciate you for playing in shooting world because <laughs> yeah. we probably should have lost that game. Yeah, because Tommy brought it if I remember. Like yeah, Tommy, Tommy like, shot oh. and I knew and I knew he was gonna do that because he loves playing against Steve and Mikey. I knew he was gonna shoot well. Yeah. So imagine being able to dial it up like that. <laughs> Um, okay, next one. What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen on a basketball court? The weirdest thing. <laughs> mm. We had Greg Warburton on yesterday and he gave us a great one, by the way. So high, high stakes oh. on this one. Weirdest thing. Rose Hollerman yeah. told me one that I think about once a month and nearly throw up, but don't <laughs> worry about it. <laughs> well, yeah, if you're talking about like bowel movements and streaks and all that type of stuff, then, it, yeah. You, <laughs> it's so, funny you say that because our, our, one, our one additional rule question is actually based off a rule we had suggested to us by a friend in that exact yeah. area. And it's that if there's an accidental bowel movement, it should be an automatic yeah. technical foul. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, man, no. you, you can't come on. You can't come on as a four or five to a podcast with a two and a one five and start. I know, rules. I know. It Sometimes, happens. You know, with the lower class, it's it's tough. <laughs> I understand. I know it's hard, and that's why no, you got to take care. Well, of I don't. I don't hold it against those guys. So I know it's kind of what it is. You can't really control it sometimes. So, but I would say the weirdest thing, man, you know, we're playing a weird sport. There's always some weird things, you know, people, um, I don't know, wearing bags on while they play, wearing gloves while they play. Gloves. Big one. Uh, Yeah. 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 I can't really narrow down one or two, you know, of course, pooping the floor. Sure. 
little oil spill like on Mario Kart or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gloves, gloves in a wheelchair is the most I've only been in a wheelchair for three months in yeah. the world. <laughs> like I yeah, don't know. I don't I, I don't want to have blisters. I'm trying to protect my hands. Yeah. My hands. Yeah. 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 All okay. right. I definitely last okay. one. Yeah. We'll stop talking about bowel movements and finish on something wholesome. Okay. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, best piece of advice you've ever been given, be it in your basketball career or in broader life. Best advice. Oh, let's see. I would say early on when I was just starting out, um, I think it was about my first year or second year of playing. Um I think it was Miles Thompson. He, he said it that like, make sure that you keep up with your work ethic. Make sure that you put in all of the kind of extra time um, that you need to um, be successful. Put in the extra work. If you think that you can put more in, put that more in and even more so. Um, because if you believe that you can get to that next level or you believe you can be the best, then you should at least put in the work or at least attempt to put in the work to get to that level. And it kind of stuck with me early on um, because I was kind of a gym rat because of that. I wanted to be in a gym at all the times. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to do workouts because I was a skinny kid. So I felt like the more I be in the gym, the more you know I practice, the more I lift weights the better I'm going to get um, down the road. And and Miles kind of knew that as well and kind of pushed me more and more, um, especially some of the workouts he had us do. And it was just like, why are you making kids do this um, type of thing? <laughs> but it, in the long run, it was definitely beneficial because it kind of instilled a higher work ethic in me at an early age um, and pretty much led to um, my career um, exploding the way it did um, from the beginning stages on to now. Awesome. Cool. Thank yeah. you very much. That's everything from us. Brian, thank you for joining us, man. Good luck closing out the season and yeah, good luck and all the best to you and your family with your, your next move. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, James, for having me on. You guys thank you so much for being here. No problem, man. No problem. Everybody listening, thank you very much. And yeah, hope you've enjoyed it. Peace out. Take it easy, Mike.